Well, let's turn together now to Luke chapter 8. Luke 8, as we walk through our new series with the parables of Jesus in Luke's gospel. And for some of you, this may be a familiar parable. For some, this might be brand new. But the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. So it's been about eight years ago that we moved as a family closer to the church. We actually moved into Glen Island. And the builder of our home said he was going to put down sod in the front yard, sod in the side yards, but not in the backyard. That was part of the deal. He said, but what I will do is I'll throw grass seed there in the backyard. Well, we saw pretty much immediately that nothing was going to grow in the backyard. It wasn't just dirt back there. In fact, there was no soil back there. What we saw was a lot of construction debris back there. Boards and chunks of concrete, some rebar, and lots and lots of gravel. And so, yeah, there's some grass seed in amongst all that, but nothing's going to grow. And so to get some grass back there in the backyard... We had to get rid of some things, a lot, of, a lot of chunks of concrete that we threw over the fence. Now, lest you think I'm bad to my neighbors, we owned what's on the other side of the fence, and there are woods back there. So I was throwing chunks of concrete onto our land on the other side of the fence. And then the rebar, all that stuff, we just got to get that, and the trash. But then also lots of gravel, hundreds of rocks that I had to then pick up one by one and just throw over the fence into our part of the land, our, our wooded area there. Of course, getting that stuff out was only part of the problem. Then I had to bring in dirt. So bag after bag of topsoil from the home improvement stores. And then, of course, seeding and overseeding over these years. And finally, our backyard is green mostly. There's still some areas where it's pretty rocky. I still could bring in some soil this spring and see what happens. Well, all that came to my mind this week as I was looking at Luke 8 in preparation for this message because Jesus is going to describe human hearts like different types of ground, that, that your heart, in fact, will be revealed by one of the ways Jesus describes these different soils in this parable. So you're going to be able to see, I think that's my heart. Here's the good news. Wherever you see your heart this morning, God can change your heart. This is the grace of God. In fact, if you find yourself this morning with a heart that's tender toward Jesus, you can't even take credit for that 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 was the grace of God, that he now has given you a heart that's responsive and warm toward Jesus when that wasn't true of you before. But if you're here today and you feel like I'm far from Christ, I pray that by the time we leave, you will now be trusting in Jesus. So thankfully, though, this parable is one that Jesus not only taught, but he explained it for us. Now, remember, we've talked about the keys to understanding parables. First of all, is to look at it through the lens of the gospel but also to understand the setting into which Jesus spoke the parable, we pick up our setting here in Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So here we're told, before we get to the parable, what the context is. Jesus is moving from place to place. He's preaching what we're told here. Here's the content. The good news of the kingdom of God. In fact, it's in the person of Jesus. He's ushering in the kingdom of God. 
Now, you and I are awaiting the fulfillment and the culmination of all of it when Jesus comes again and reigns bodily, visibly on the earth. That's coming when Jesus returns. We've got the millennium to come. We've got the new earth to come where Jesus will reign so wonderfully. But even in his first coming, he ushered in the kingdom of God. He didn't just speak in future tense. He's speaking in present tense. Remember Matthew four seventeen. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you and I have the privilege in this new covenant being a part of the kingdom of God. If we're among those who've repented of sin and have now put all of our trust in Jesus. In the person who's believed in Jesus, he is even now reigning in them. We are among those who've already bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus taught us to pray this way. Jesus, God, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we advance his kingdom by sharing the gospel, by sending and supporting and going as missionaries, as heart after heart, as home after home, as people group after people group, turn and put their faith in Jesus Christ. One more thing about this kingdom. This kingdom that Jesus preached about is an eternal kingdom. Every other government, every other kingdom is temporary. Think about great empires that were long before our time, Roman Empire, Babylonian Empire before that, all those came and they are gone. Think about on the world scene right now, we, we think a lot about China, it's going to come and go. We hear about Russia, it's going to come and go. What about the United States, going to come and going to go. There's only one eternal kingdom and it is the kingdom of God that you can enter through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, I pray that you don't wait till the end of the sermon. That even right now, knowing that everything else is temporary, that you would come to Jesus, respond to the kindness of God. He would forgive you and bring you into his everlasting kingdom. So we're just looking here on our way to this parable. What's the context? What's Jesus been preaching about? Oh, it's the good news of the kingdom of God. Now we're told who was a part of his ministry team here. We're told here that he's accompanied by his team of 12 disciples. And notably here, Luke tells us there are some women, notice how they're described, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And then he notes out Mary Magdalene, look how she's described, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Can you imagine? And so it under, it's understandable, you think about somebody like Mary Magdalene, she had seven demons in her. Where else is she going to want to be? Jesus had delivered her of those. Jesus had saved her soul. It's no surprise that she wants to be with Jesus. She's now part of the team. She wants other people to experience the good news that she's experienced. She's now a part of the effort. We're told these women are helping to fund even the effort. By the way, that's our move as well. We're among those who have been rescued out of our sin, out of bondage, all kinds of things, forgiven for our millions of sins. Where else would we rather be? than worshiping Jesus, being a part of the effort that more people all over the world could come to know Jesus. So it's in this context that Jesus then gives us this parable. He's preaching to many, many people from place to place, but he wants his disciples to know not everybody is going to believe and be saved. Here's the parable. It picks up in verse four. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. 
And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there is our parable. And we can picture it in our minds, someone moving along on a path in a garden or in a field. Perhaps he has a bag of seeds strapped on one shoulder. And with the other hand, he's just broadcasting seed out into that area where he wants to see growth. But the seed is falling in all kinds of different soils of different conditions. Some of it, understandably, falling on the very path where the sower is walking. And others are going to walk on it too. There's just no dirt there. There's no topsoil. It's not going to do anything. Even the birds are going to come and take it away. Some of that seed's going to fall on some rocky soil where there's just not enough soil there. And it's going to spring up and then burn off. Some of the seed, we're told, will fall among the thorns. Maybe this is at the edge of the garden or the edge of the field there where there are weeds. And so this seed's going to grow up, but eventually going to be choked out by the weeds and the thorns. But then there's the good soil. And we're told that's where they're going to see a hundredfold increase there. That's what the intention of the sower is. You, you want to find good soil when you're planting seeds. So we hear this and we go, I think I have a pretty good idea what this is about. But the disciples didn't. We have 2,000 years of church history to have thought about this in our own Christian experience of a number of years, at least for most of us. And we can think, oh yeah, I think I have a pretty good handle on this. But think about the first disciples, like, hey, what are you trying to get at here? And so they asked for the explanation. Notice verse nine. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, now notice this, he's not gonna explain it first. We're gonna spend the bulk of our time on that explanation, but first he tells them why he speaks in parables to begin with. Notice again, verse nine. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, verse 10, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. We talked about this when we started this series. In parables, Jesus is doing two things simultaneously. On the one hand, he's disclosing, revealing things to his disciples. I want you to see this. Notice, I'm giving you the secrets. But he says there are other people at the same time that he's hiding things from. He is cloaking the truth so that some others would not believe. So he's, he's blessing some with the truth, Jesus says, while he's judging some other people by not giving them the truth. So those who are persisting in unbelief, those who are not coming to faith, he's, I'm going I'm to blind you that you wouldn't believe. So it's stunning. There's a lot to process there. But now he moves on to the explanation of the parable itself. And now verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So Jesus says, this parable I'm giving you. Let's talk about the seed. The seed is the word of God. This is the message that Jesus had been proclaiming. And Jesus is the sower. He's the one scattering that seed. By the way, this now remains our responsibility to scatter that seed. And we carry the same seed. It is the word of God. 
Notice with me, there's no defect in the one sowing, Jesus, no defect in the seed, that's the word of God, but where there is a problem, it is a problem with the soils, either hard-packed path or rocky soil or full of thorns or, we pray, good soil. So four, four points of application for us this morning as we take on this parable. Here's the first point of application, and this is Jesus' main point here. Expect varied responses to the word. You and I should expect varied responses to the word. So here's Jesus moving from village to village, town to town, people coming, thousands of people to hear him, but he's letting everybody know everybody's not going to believe. You can count on the fact that there'll be various responses to this message. And we see it in Jesus's ministry, don't we? Not everybody believed. And we would say, well, that's no fault of Jesus. That's no fault of the gospel of the kingdom that he brought. That's a part, that's a problem on the part of human beings. In Jesus' ministry, if we just looked at percentages, a very small percentage of people among all that heard him in his lifetime believed. That would be thousands who refused to believe. And that's not Jesus' vision, vision failing to come to fruition. He's telling us right here, this is how I know it's going to be. Few, really, ultimately, will be among the believers. It's not a failure of his mission. He's telling this right at the beginning. And likewise for us, when you and I share the good news with people that we care about, we haven't failed either if that person does not choose to believe in Christ. Now, we might be disappointed and we'll be heartbroken because we don't want them to perish in their sins. We've already taken the risk to bring up Jesus to them. We really want them to believe, but their unbelief, if they persist in that, that's not a failure on your part. Failure for us in evangelism is when we fail to talk about Jesus. We need to bring him up more and more and more. But we have to understand there will be a variety of responses when we share the gospel, just like it was when Jesus shared the gospel. The first response Jesus says that we need to be aware of is this one, an immediate response of unbelief. Someone will respond with immediate unbelief. These are those who are along the path. Verse 12 again, the ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This is a person who hears you share the gospel and immediately they indicate to you, not interested at all. Don't want anything to do with that. I don't believe that. And if you share the gospel any number of times, you're gonna get that response where you're sharing this message of hope that you long for them to embrace. But sometimes you'll meet people and just like, nope, just kind of glazed over, don't want it. Sometimes they'll quickly deflect. Well, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about sports. Let's talk about world history. Let's talk about anything not there. And typically when I have that conversation and I see it's going that way, uh, I'll stay in there a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and back up. Clearly, it doesn't appear on this day anyway that God's at work in their heart. It's going to back up. Maybe I'll just go with them to talk about sports. So I'll go with them to talk about something else. Clearly, they didn't show any interest whatsoever. Some years ago now, I was with my son-in-law in Poland uh, where he served at that time in, as a missionary. And uh, he spoke Polish and he was going to go on the university campus to engage in some spiritual conversations. And so I thought, I'll go with you. I don't speak any Polish. I was going to be the prayer partner. And so there we go. And it was exam week there on the campus. And it's interesting for their culture, the young men and women for exam week dress up. So the young guys are in coats and ties for exam week. And they just finished some exams. And there they are out on these benches in their campus, coat and tie, drinking their beers. And so into this, Evan and I go with the gospel, me, the silent prayer partner. And so I watched Evan as he came upon a group of about five or six young Polish men and uh, he engaged them in Polish. I'm just listening. And, and then because these are educated young Poles, they spoke English quite well also. So they switched over to English and that's where I could just listen in more. 
But I loved what Evan did. I watched him talk about exams, how are things going, just being very cordial, very genuine, expressing real interest, but then turning the conversation to spiritual things, turning the conversation to Jesus Christ, and, uh, but they were not embracing easily. These young men, like most of Poland, come from a Catholic background, and they had not met Jesus personally, and so they thought, we already know about that, not interested in that, don't need that. They were saying things like that. Fairly kind in the way they were declining, but clearly declining. I was ready to cut. I thought, well, clearly God's not working here. But I was impressed with Evan. I like that he hung in there a little bit longer. He didn't just take that initial no. He probed in there a little bit more. But what about this? And just challenged them a little bit in their unbelief and pointing out Christ. But then eventually realizing, yeah, they're, they're not going to believe today. And so we then joined them talking about exams, talking about weather, whatever else we did, and disengaged. But Jesus tells us there will be those who just immediately let you know they're not going to believe. There are those likened to a seed on a packed path. But then there's another response Jesus said, and this one is an emotional acceptance of the gospel. It's not genuine salvation, but there'll be those who hear the gospel and they'll make some kind of emotional acceptance. These are ones like, like seed among rocky soil. Verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. This might be a person who hears the gospel, and they like some of the elements of the gospel. That sounds nice. And, and maybe they just recognize, you know, I, I need to start going to church, or I need community. I'm kind of lonely out there, and it looks like they have friendship there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join up for that, perhaps. Or I could use some hope and peace in my life. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing and giving over my life to him and trusting him, but I, I could use some peace and joy in my life. I'll, I'll sign up. But there's no root. It does, they don't last. It wasn't genuine salvation. And we've seen that happen here through the years. So a person might indicate on a Sunday, you know, I want to put my faith in Jesus or I want to join the church family. Do you know through the years, there have been people who've let us know that on a Sunday and a part of our church joining process, we have our deacons, and they make a wonderful deacon welcome visit. And oftentimes after a person says they want to trust in Jesus or they want to join the church even, when our deacons try to get a hold of them, no response, just ghosted them. And our deacons are great. They'll keep trying. But after about three or four months, hey, Pastor Jim, what do we do? We cannot get a hold of this person. So we think, what was that? And we don't know the whole story, but that is a little bit odd, though, when you're interested enough on a Sunday to I really want to connect there, and then you can't get a hold. Sometimes it's after a person's baptized. So they're interested enough. They go through those early steps, it seems, of trusting in Christ. And then that wonderful moment of baptism, they're hanging in there that long. But then after baptism, gone. Can't, can't get them back. What is that? In fact, I know that story well because that was my story. At 13, I was concerned about hell, which is a good concern to have. And I just didn't understand how you could avoid that. So I went through the motions of joining our church as a 13-year-old. And really, I lost almost all interest in God after baptism, because I thought, good, phew, I got what I need now not to go to hell. I didn't have any interest in trusting Jesus, following Jesus, following his lordship, what's his will for my life, none of that. It's just, I thought I'm now good to go to heaven when this all ends, but I did not know Jesus. I'm so thankful for a merciful God who, as we said at the beginning, he can shift the kind of soil you are. I was rocky soil, but then several years later, thank the Lord, he gave me a heart with good soil to respond to the gospel in a genuine way. So Jesus says there's another type of soil to be aware of, and it's a response where a person appears to begin to walk with Jesus for a while, only to fall away later. This is that seed among thorns, and we read about it in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, 
and their fruit does not mature. So some people will seem to be genuine believers, but eventually their lack of faith will show up as they fall away. And Jesus says some of them will fall away with the excuse of cares. So maybe it's persecution comes. They think, whoa, I thought this was going to be easy. I'm going to trust in Jesus. That's all I want. And I, I didn't think people were going to hate me for it. So once they experience some persecution, some hardship for Jesus, I'm out of here for that. They reveal they never truly had known Jesus, that they could bail so easily when it got hard. Other people, it may not be persecution, maybe just, just hardships in general. Life got difficult, and somehow they misunderstood. Though it was never promised in the Bible, they thought, wait a minute, if I put my faith in Jesus, life's going to get easier. I'm not going to have problems. There'll be sort of like a force field around me, and I won't have trouble. But you know the Bible doesn't teach that. I really think you could do this. You could spend this week and just open up any page of the Bible, and you're going to have an acknowledgement of difficulty on virtually every page of the Bible. There's, there are troubles all throughout this life. In fact, we never were promised no trouble until heaven where there'll be no more tears, no more pain. But this life, we hear things like this. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. Or Paul told Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or Peter said this, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. The promise is not that you won't have any cares or anxieties, but when you have them and you will, you are to cast them upon God who cares for you even in the midst of all your troubles. So some people, Jesus said, are going to fall away because of cares. But this is embarrassing what he indicates next. Some people fall away for the opposite reason, because they don't have enough cares. Notice what he says here in verse 14 again. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares. Listen to what he says next. And riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. This is an embarrassing part of our human nature that, that we can have it so easy that's when we turn away from the Lord. When things are very difficult, sometimes people start to understand, oh, maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I cannot solve all the problems of my own life. Maybe I do need a rescue. But things get easy and we start to get passive and we start to get prideful. And we think, I think I have this. I'm not like the other people who need a savior. I've got this in my own life. Remember God warned his children, the Israelites, before going into the promised land about this very tendency Hey, don't forget me when it goes from difficult in the wilderness for these 40 years into the relative ease of the promised land. Don't forget me. This is Deuteronomy 8, 11 and following. Very practical. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Here it is. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. So don't let prosperity, don't let your fun keep you from trusting in Jesus. 
Don't think to yourself, I'm fine, I've got this. I'm having too much fun to start following Jesus. That's one response though of people who have not genuinely met him. So we are to expect varied responses. Here's a second point of application. Time will reveal good soil. Time will reveal genuine faith, which Jesus here calls good soil. So initially, isn't it true? It's hard to tell the difference between a person who made a genuine decision for Christ and a person who's made a false conversion to Christ. They look the same. They sit side by side in the same church services. They may sit side by side in the same life group. They might go on the same mission trip together. But here's the mark of the genuine believer. The genuine believer has a faith that will last. The person who falls away, whether because of pleasure or because of pains, that person has never truly been born again. You do realize when Jesus gives you eternal life, it's just that. It's eternal. You, you don't lose that. You don't stop wanting to follow the one who saved you. You can stumble you can fall, but you can't fall away if you've been truly born again. The scripture says it this way. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Not meaning that you're saving yourself or keeping yourself saved by your endurance, but just that the person who's really met Jesus, that's a faith that endures. That's the mark of genuine faith. Sometimes in the life of the church, we'll sing an older song. Maybe, maybe Chip will reach back a couple of decades to a song that we used to sing or a decade ago. And so I don't know, what, what do you do when those times? Goodness, eight o'clock service, we, we jump back centuries and sing some songs there. But it's wonderful when you go, you know, I remember that song when I first sang it 20 years ago. You know, I like the new stuff, but, but that's 20 years ago. And I think, here's what I do. Lord, I thank you that these 20 years later, here I am still worshiping you. Same song. Because what I can do in my mind when I think back, oh, I remember when we first sang that song. I can think about some, think, oh, I sang that on a mission trip with Staples Mill Road Baptist Church. I remember when we first sang that one. And sadly, I can think about people who were with me on that trip in the circle who used to mean it. They used to sing those songs and they don't sing it anymore. Not just not sing that song, but not singing any song, no desire to follow Jesus. And, and there's no pride on my part. I just think, Lord, thank you for your grace. That this many years, still, still wanting to sing to you any, any song, it's the grace of God. And so we consider then application here. Another point of application is this, keep sowing the right seed. Keep sowing the right seed. So some people might think, look, I want a bigger harvest than what I'm currently getting. So I'm gonna switch seed. Maybe our church could grow faster if we get off this seed of the word of God and do something that might be more palatable to our ever-changing culture. And you know, some churches have tried that. They think, you know, hey, young people aren't gonna go for the Bible. And these morals, they're really going to be an obstacle to our church growth. Let's, let's pivot away from that. But can I tell you, that doesn't work. Even, even churches that have tried that, we're going to get off the scripture. We're going to change our morality to match the culture, to give the culture what they want. People know that doesn't ring true. You're selling, I think most people know. And those, those denominations who have tried that, those are in rapid free fall once they left the scriptures, thinking that the culture is going to really admire that. No, as a church and as individuals, we're going to remain rooted in the truth. And we're going to keep reaching in love with this unchanging Bible that we have, this unchanging gospel. So, of course, from time to time, if we see, look, we're not seeing the kind of harvest we'd like to see, we can question our methodologies. We should check our missiology. Like, are we, are we doing this in the wisest way in our culture? But we're not going to change the gospel. 
we're not going to change the Bible. Maybe we'll be like the apostles in different contexts. Our starting point for the gospel, we might start the conversation a little differently, but we have to get to the issue of sin. We have to get to Jesus being the savior from sin. We have to get to the cross and the resurrection. There is no other gospel. We have to get there or we've preached something different. So even if we could grow apart from this seed, what have we grown? You can't grow a beautiful grapevine if you're planting potatoes. And so Jesus said, this is the seed, nothing wrong with the seed. You keep sharing this. And then one final point of application for us is you and I who have been given a heart to respond to the Lord, we want to improve the soil quality of our hearts. So let's acknowledge together. If you have a heart that has responded with humility and a desire to follow Jesus, that is a great miracle of God. We can't be bragging about it. Look at me. I have a heart that loves Jesus and all those other people don't. I'm better than they are. We can't do that because we know that God did that. I think about my own story and it's the same as your story. Do you remember for years in many of our cases, we heard the gospel, we heard about God and what was our heart? Not interested, not interested, don't need it. Fine, just like I am, don't need it, not interested. And then all of a sudden we heard the same gospel like, I'm interested, I'm not okay. I need to trust in Jesus. I need something other than getting dunked underwater. I have to turn from my sin and trust in Jesus. How did you get that? Now, you didn't do that. That's the grace of God. So we're celebrating this good soil. If you have it in your heart, that is the grace of God. He's given that to you that you might respond. That's how much he loves you. But now I'm just asking you as a Christian, how are you maintaining the soil of your life? Is it possible after having trusted in Jesus genuinely and you're walking with him, you've invited some thorns into your life? Maybe it's like my backyard when we first moved in. There's some stuff you recognize. If I'm gonna see the kind of growth God wants in my life, I gotta get some of this debris out of here. I gotta get some of this out of here. And then there's some other things you realize, you know, I think there's some things to make the condition of my heart better for growing in Christ's likeness. I need to bring some things in. Can I commend you? You've done one of those. One of the things that help you grow is to be committed to worship. In a, in a group like this, in a local church. And so what you've chosen to do here for an 11 o'clock service, and those of you watching from home, where you say, I'm gonna prioritize worship. A lot of other things I could do, but this is what I'm gonna do because I want my heart to continue to be tender and responsive and fruitful for Christ's worship. Not only in groups like this, but how about in small groups? If you haven't made the move yet into a life group here, we encourage you to do that where you can encourage other people's faith. They can encourage your faith. It's an important move that you be known in a local body of believers. Please be making that move as well. It's in your own personal reading of the word of God where he keeps your heart tender and he's showing you weeds to pull out and thorns to get out and rocks to throw out of your life. Oh, we all wanna be growing in the Lord like that. Well, it's been a number of years ago now when I pastored in Alabama and our little family lived down there. The first year we noticed that almost everybody in the church gardened and we didn't. So then years two and three down there before going overseas, we decided we wanted to garden, but we didn't have any of the tools for gardening. And I certainly didn't have the time to garden like our church members did. But a man named KD, he brought his tiller over and we showed him the place there by the parsonage. Hey, could you cut us a garden here? And, uh, and I think I was thinking too grandiose. You know, if we're gonna do a garden, let's do a big garden. And so he made these long rows for us where we were gonna plant our garden. And we did, we planted things. But I can tell you that first year of gardening was a great embarrassment. I was so ashamed of my garden when I could see what the others would do with their tillers and their knowledge, beautiful gardens. And people would drive by my house and they could look off to the left. And because of the way we cut the rows, they're perpendicular to the road. People could see my lousy gardening. They could see all the weeds growing up in there. And so we had a little bit of a harvest there. It was fine. But I thought, okay, this next year of gardening, 
We're going to do some things differently. KD came back, and I told him, this year, we're going to make the rows go along the road, parallel to the road. That way, people can't see what's going on in there. And this was the brilliant move. We're planting corn first along the road. <laughs> Here was the goal. If I can get the corn to grow tall, if I can just get it to outgrow the weeds, nobody will see the disaster that's going on inside of this garden that I can't maintain with a simple hoe. Well, we had a little bit of produce from that. It was fine, but... But here, here's the point. When we think about our souls and our lives, we're not wanting to guard in our hearts like that. Where I just want to hide the weeds. I just want to hide the disaster that is my life. I just want people to think everything's good in there. That's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to be good soil. And only he can do that. And today I pray that you'll be that good soil. That you'll see I have a heart now that wants to respond to this gospel. I want Jesus to forgive all my sins. I want Jesus to set me free from the things that hold me in bondage. I want Jesus to be the new leader of my life. I want to be in this eternal kingdom of God. That If you find that in you, oh, respond to that. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then Christian, would you foster that? Would you cultivate what he's begun in you? That you might continue to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That you'll be more and more like Christ. More fruitful for Christ until he comes again for us. Let's pray together.